0: Well, good morning again. If you brought a a Bible to church today, it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bible to the book of Psalms. Psalms 139, to be specific. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Psalm 139. Sanctity of Life Sunday was... uh, Initiated by President Ronald Reagan in 1984, and President Reagan wanted to set aside one day every January to remember and to lament the historic Supreme Court decision of 1973 that you all know as Roe v. Wade, which granted constitutional rights to American women to terminate the life of the unborn child in their womb. And I want, what I want to do this morning is to show from God's Word why human life, all human life, is sacred. I want to look at three elements, three branches of the sanctity of human life. We're going to look at the sanctity of life in the unborn. We're going to look at the sanctity of life in the unwanted. And we're going to look at the sanctity of life in the unreached and then at the end, I will give you some ways for you to get involved in the cause of the sanctity of life. Psalm 139. Let's go ahead and read verses 13 down to 16. And then I'm going to pray and uh, we'll get to work on this subject. Psalm 139, verse 13. If you're using a Pew Bible, that's page 521. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Let's pray. Lord, my words won't bring life this morning. I need yours. Yours are the words of eternal life. Would you equip me, your servant, to speak your words to your people, to embolden them to also speak, to defend and to protect the unborn, the unwanted, and the unreached. Would you allow us the eyes to see the sanctity of life in human beings? Would you change our hearts? Would you heal us? Would you forgive our sins? Both the sin of commission and the sin that most of us are more familiar with on this issue, the sin of omission. Forgive us for not doing anything. Mobilize your people for the glory of your beautiful name. Amen. As soon as ever I had arrived thus far in my investigation of the slave trade, So enormous, so dreadful, so irremediable did its wickedness appear that my own mind was completely made up for the abolition. A trade founded in iniquity and carried on as this was must be abolished. I from this time determined that I would never rest till I had effected its abolition. William Wilberforce was 30 years old when he said that. It was 1789 in England. The African slave trade was in full swing. It was a wicked exploitation of African lives for labor production in the the commodity goods and commodity crops of the South Atlantic and Caribbean and, and in the New World. It was an effort by European colonists to turn a profit Through the exportation of these resources, slave labor was cheap and it made the products affordable. Wilberforce was a godly and Christian man and he decried marginal Christianity in his day. And he committed his life to two things. One, improving Christian morals in England and two, ending and abolishing the slave trade, which he saw as the same thing. In 1789... William Wilberforce introduced 12 resolutions to Parliament to abolish the slave trade. All of them failed. He tried again in 1791. All of them failed. In 1792, and they failed. In 1793, and 97, and 98, and 99, and 1804, and 1805. Finally, in 1807, British Parliament officially abolished the slave trade in England Wilberforce's political determination and his unwavering commitment to the sanctity of all human life eventually toppled the slave trade in England and put pressure on the Americans to do the same. And my hope and my prayer is that God would be pleased to raise up another Wilberforce to champion the cause of the unborn and unwanted and unreached in our day. The same political determination, the same theological determination, same passion. But this passion for the unborn and the unwanted and the unreached, it doesn't begin with the, with the love of the unborn or unwanted or unreached. It begins with a passion for the preciousness of the image of God. It begins with passion for the uncreated, for God himself. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to point your Bible to the first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 1. So even if you went to Botkin's, I think you'll be alright in finding that one. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be reading on page uh, on verse 26, just a couple of verses that I want you to see. This is, this is the creation account, God creating man. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over, ev- and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The Bible uses an economy of language, so when we see something repeated, then we must take note. We must take note when things are repeated. God created man in his own image. In his image, he created him. Mankind is the only part of God's creation in which God placed his image, and that's what makes mankind unique from the animals. Mankind is different from the rest of creation. Creation itself is a wonderful thing, but humans are more wonderful than creation because God placed his image in humans, all humans. The image of God is what gives man his immaterial existence. The Bible says that God is spirit. Spirit. So, man's physical flesh and bones and his neurological systems and all of the eleven systems that make up a man is not what makes up a man. What makes a man a man is his immaterial parts, his soul, his spirit. His intellect, his morality, his rationality, his volition, his consciousness. These are the immaterial things, and they give rise in in, in humans to creativity and intelligence and art. And they are a result of the image of God in us. The image of God is precious. Therefore, those who bear the image of God are likewise precious. All human life is precious. If you still have uh, your Bible open, then move forward a few chapters to chapter 9 of Genesis. Genesis chapter 9. There's one verse I want you to see in particular in Genesis chapter 9. At this point in the Bible, God is giving instructions to Noah. This is after the great flood. And uh, I want you to see how God is emphasizing the difference between man and the rest of creation. In verse 3, God tells Noah, you can eat meat, Noah. And everyone said, praise the Lord, we can eat meat. But look at verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own Image. He's saying, if you kill a cow, you make ribeye. But if you kill a human, you make murder. We're different because of the image of God. That's what makes us precious. You kill a human and that's murder. If you kill a pig, that's bacon. That's the difference. And here's the point. Until we become passionate about defending the image of God, we will never be passionate about defending the unborn or unwanted or unreached. Until we are passionate about the image of God, we will never be passionate about the unborn, the unreached, or the unwanted. Instead, here's what we'll do. We'll act for our own sakes, for our own comforts, and for our own safeties, and for our own conveniences. When we fail to see the preciousness of the image of God in all human life, our perspective turns inward. And here's what happens. Unwanted pregnancy suddenly becomes about a mother's freedom. And slavery suddenly becomes about economics. Economics. And sheltering refugees suddenly becomes about safety. And taking care of elderly suddenly becomes about convenience. And immigration becomes about job security. And evangelism becomes about consideration. And guess what happens? Mission dies. When the image of God is not precious in others, the only thing we find precious is ourselves. Suddenly, what's important to us is safety, convenience, and luxury. God has placed his image in every human being. Every Human being, regardless of age, from the unborn to the elderly, regardless of viability, which is the language of Roe v. Wade, so whether they're handicapped or whether they're independent They're precious regardless of social utility. Whether they're lazy and on government assistance or whether they're a hard-working taxpayer, they are precious. And precious things are things that ought to be protected and defended and helped. So as followers of Christ... Recipients of the benefits of the gospel. We, Cornerstone, have no choice but to speak up and defend and to protect and help the unborn, the unwanted, and the unreached. Just like Phil shared earlier, it doesn't matter who they are. Every human life is precious because God is. Now, we turn to the image of God in the unborn. Back to Psalm 139 if you're if you're interested in reading it again. Verses 13 to 16, what I want you to see in these four verses is the psalmist, David, is describing his state For the Lord, as an unborn, and I just want you to see the involvement that our creator God has in the life of the unborn. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I was intricately woven. Your eyes, they saw my unformed substance. My days were written down in a book before I did anything. What we see the psalmist praising is his, the creator God's wonderful involvement in forming human life, in fashioning human life in the womb, putting his image in those little unborn babies. Since January 22nd, 1973, over 58 million unborn image bearers have been killed in the womb. That's in this country alone. By the way, that's 40 times more Americans than were killed in every American war combined. In the eyes of the law, a fetus is not a person, but in the eyes of God, he or she is. At conception, every strand of genetic information is present. every strand. At conception, it is already determined the baby's gender, the baby's eye color, the baby's hair color, the baby's height, even male pattern baldness. It's not my fault. (laughs) By week three, the baby's blood vessels are formed. And foundations for the brain and the spinal cord are formed. By week four, 22 days after conception, a tiny little heart begins to beat. Cornerstone, most women don't even know they're pregnant yet. By end of week four, eyes and ears and lungs begin to form. And this is about the time when mom misses her first period. By week five, tiny little arms and legs appear as well as the baby's face. Now she has her own blood. By week six, fingers and toes develop. By week seven, 99% of a baby's muscles are formed. Brain activity is detectable. By week eight, she's moving around. Every organ is present. By week nine, she's... She can feel pain. She recoils from pain. By week 10, she has her own fingerprints. By week 11, she's smiling and wiggling her toes. She, she sucks her thumb, shows a preference for one or the other. By week 13, she's having REM sleep, which means... Probably, she's dreaming. I'm sad to announce to you, friends, that our little girl still has seven more weeks until she is considered legally alive and therefore legally protected. She's not a viable human being until week 20. That's what man thinks anyway. Here's what God thinks. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I made days for you. I wrote them down in a book just for you. That's what God thinks. God thinks she's viable. God sent his son to die for the sins she hadn't even committed yet. Cornerstone, the life of the unborn is precious because God knows them. They're his image bearers and they ought to be defended, protected, and spoke up for and helped. The unborn are precious. And so are the unwanted. Psalm 2710, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Pro-choice advocates have accused pro-lifers of caring only about babies once in in the womb. But once they're out of the womb, they support legislation which cuts funding for, you know, single moms in poverty and government assistance. And in some ways, I think we should own that. Because I think they're justified in some ways. Unwanted pregnancies carried to term become unwanted children. It is the responsibility of the Christian church to care for orphans and the poor. Sadly, the church has abdicated this responsibility to the government. I've told you before, If one family in every three churches adopted one baby, there will be no orphans in this country. Adoption is not an option for the Christian church. It is a privilege of the Christian church. Adoption, it's it's in our blood. It's who we are. We, the Bible says, we were adopted. We were adopted. We read it at the opening, Ephesians 1.5. God predestined us for adoption. John 1.12, but to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 8, 15, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Even the Lord Jesus was raised by a man who wasn't his father. Adoption is who we are, cornerstone. If you remember from last year in 1 Peter, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were unwanted, but now you are wanted. God wanted you, it's in our blood. The church ought to carry the light for the unwanted. We ought to be those knocking on the door of every adoption agency and foster care agency and saying, i got to get in there. i got to tell the babies they're wanted. Mom and dad w- didn't want you. But well, God will take you in. I will take you in. Adoption shouldn't be considered the second best option to biological children. It's not plan B. Not for the Christian church. My prayer is that God would raise up, even among us, champions for the unwanted. So that there would be no unwanted children in Piqua. couple other elements about caring for and defending the precious image of God in the unwanted. James one twenty seven says, pure religion means taking care of orphans and widows. Proverbs 21 says that if we close our ear to the poor, God will close his ear to us. Those among us who are elderly, we are, we are called to look after widows. We are called to look after the unwanted elderly and to remember the poor. If we are passionate about the preciousness of the image of God, then we must be passionate about image bearers in our communities like unwanted elderly, unwanted poor, and unwanted widows, and those with special needs. The image of God is precious in the life of the unwanted. And the gospel is a message that God came after unwanted people. Our privilege is that we get to go to the unwanted segments of our society and tell them, you're wanted. You're wanted by my God. You're wanted by me. To speak up for, defend, protect, and provide for, and adopt the unwanted. Lastly, the privilege that we have toward the unreached. Isaiah 66, 19 I will send survivors to the nations, to the coastlands far away, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. A passion for the preciousness of the image of God in all human life drives discipleship and it drives mission. This is because every person that you meet in the grocery store Across the cubicle at work, they have a soul. They're human and they have a soul, and that soul will live on forever somewhere, either heaven or hell. And the privilege of every follower of Jesus Christ is to make disciples of every nation. For us, that starts here in Piqua, and then it goes to Miami County. And then it goes to the ends of the earth. You know, there are only two explanations for why you are alive today. There's only two reasons why you could possibly be drawing breath and God doesn't end you right now. One, you're not a Christian. And God's keeping you alive because he's patient with you and he's wooing you to himself until you trust in him, until you devote your life to following him. That's one reason. The other reason is maybe you are a Christian and God is keeping you alive because there's some work of discipleship that has yet to be done through you. God has some work of discipling someone else through you. That's why you're alive. Every follower of Jesus is called to the mission of discipling others. I know some of you may have been hoping for millions and a life of luxury and ease, but sorry, not sorry. You're called to discipleship. You're called to reach your neighbors with the gospel. The reason God doesn't just take us to heaven right now is because Christ is not all and in all. There's still an until yet in that sentence. Christ is not all and in all in piqua yet. He's not all and in all in Miami County. He's not all and in all in the three billion people that don't call upon the name of Jesus in the earth. There's work to be done. So you're alive. So let's get to work. So that person that you work with, that soul that you work with, you get the privilege of Discipling them, reaching them with the gospel, having a conversation. I mean, how many people do you know that still don't know Jesus? How do you share the gospel with them? Here's a way. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Take him out to lunch. My treat. Take him out to lunch. Have a simple conversation. Did you know today's Martin Luther King Jr. Day? Did you know he was a pastor? Wait a minute. Do you go to church? Wait a minute. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? It's that simple. (laughs) All of your coworkers are image bearers of God, even the mean ones, even the, the, the quiet ones that nobody really pays them much attention. He or she is an eternal soul, precious, eternal soul. And when they die, they will go on and live forever somewhere. And God has placed you in their lives to help them see that unless they turn from their sins and devote their life to the Lord Jesus, they'll go to hell. Passion for the preciousness of the image of God in the unreached drives discipleship and it drives mission. If you remember from last year's Mission Sunday, I told you, Phil mentioned it today, there are really two options for you. You can either scale back on your spending, set aside some monies to go and support those who are going to the nations. Or the other option, you go to the nations. There are only two options. You be one who sends those who go, or you go yourself. Two options. Pastor John Piper adds a third. You can be disobedient. That's the third option. Everyone has this privilege of being a sender. And some of us, the lucky ones, get to be the goers. So if you've not allocated monies to support the mission and to support missionaries, just redo your budget. There's no condemnation for me. You get to do it. This is, this is something, some privilege that you get to do. We're hoping to help get Glenn and Sonia South to Turkey this year. Lord willing, We're hoping to help them, too, to get to China. That's your privilege of sending people to the places of the world where they don't know the name of Jesus. How will they call upon him whom they've never heard? So we've got to send people. Three billion image bearers have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think all of us could do with a little less luxury in order to support the mission of God. I think you can. I hope you want to. So, now what I want to do is conclude with a couple of ways that you can get involved in protecting, defending, and helping the unborn, the unwanted, and the unreached. <clears throat> I know that was a lot to cover. I know your head might be spinning right now. You should be passionate about all of those things. But we can't do everything all at once. We've got to start somewhere. We're a young church and Lord willing, as, as the Lord matures us the years to come, these things will be operating in and among us. But for now, there's some places to start. So on the back of your program, you can fill out. If you, you I'll just give you some information. You can write down what you want to. If you are passionate about the unreached, have already kind of said what you can do. You can be a, a sender. You, you can be a goer, okay? If you want to be a goer, then you get a hold of me. Let me know. We'll help you get some resources together, do some training together, help work with you to plan a short-term trip. We've got some people who are in missions. We can plug you in, okay? So if you're interested in a, being a goer, let us know. If you, if you want to be a sender, read your budget, Get, get some money set aside and start sending people. That's for the unreached, for the unwanted. If you want to get plugged in and help out with the unwanted. Adoption is a beautiful privilege, but it is not for everyone. Not every family is called to adopt. I don't think so. But if you're praying about it and you feel the Lord might be leading you and calling you to adopt, then get your church family involved. We want to help you with this. We want to pray with you with this. Let us help you get funding together. Do fundraisers together. I have a book that I would love to give you if you're interested. If you feel the Spirit of God drawing you to help widows, the poor, just get some folks together and, and start reaching out to community in, in, into the community. Figure out ways that you can do that. Get plugged in at a nursing home or something like that. If you're in a Living Stones group, get your Living Stones group together. Help them do that. If you're not a part of a Living Stones group, tell God you're sorry about that. Get a part of one and get them together. But Let's just see what we can do about making sure the unreached, the unwanted in this community get told that they're wanted for the unborn. Before I say anything else about the unborn, there's something else I need to say. If, If you or someone you know has had an abortion, I want you to understand something. There is forgiveness, there is mercy, and there is grace at the cross of Jesus Christ. And there is no condemnation, not from me, not from my people, and certainly not from your Savior. But you need to get help. You need to talk to someone about that. The Elizabeth New Life Center, our friends up in Sydney. There's one in Sydney. There's some in Dayton. They have counselors available to sit down with post-abortive women and to work through that. It takes a while. There's no shame in that. You bring that to Jesus, but get help. Help. Ways that you can help. Inside this basket that's sitting in front of me are a hundred silicone mock ups of a twelve week old fetus. And um, I've had these in my office for years. One like this and what it does is helps to remind you to do the first and most important thing that you can do for the unborn which is to pray and so when Corey and Mary come back up and, and sing this last song I'm going to have every family come up and take one home today you can take two if you want, we will got a hundred in there that's not a random number that's the amount of babies that were aborted during our service today. So this is just a way for you to remember. I have it sitting on my desk. For you to remember to pray for babies in the womb. That's the first thing you can do. The second thing you can do is to serve the Elizabeth New Life Center has opportunities to volunteer. I spoke with Ashley Schrader this week and they have opportunities for mentor moms. And I've talked to some of you about mentor moms, which that's a beautiful thing that you get to be. You just get to sit down with a woman who's maybe considering an, a, an abortion or just doesn't know what it looks like to be a mom and sit down and to just, this is what it looks like to be a mom. It's hard. It's chaotic, but it's wonderful. So you can be a mentor mom. You can volunteer to help. Money for that. You can f- support them financially. You could serve at the Elizabeth New Life Center. They're um, looking to find a woman to help more women to help with the post-abortive counseling. So if you're interested in, ha- in in serving the Elizabeth New Life Center, send me an email this week, and I'll put you in contact with Ashley, and you can get plugged in up there. But I want to conclude with a word of hope. Corey, Mayor, you guys can come back up. I want to conclude with a word of hope. In 1973, the baby boomer generation handed down murderous legislation to their kids. My generation, Gen X. Sadly, Gen Xers have not done anything about it. Probably due to their latent distrust of government and anything organized. They've done nothing. And since then, 58 million babies have died. But maybe God will raise up a William Wilberforce in the millennial generation. Say what you want about millennials. Look, they're crybabies. I get it. But one thing that is absolutely true about millennials is they know how to mobilize. And perhaps God will raise up a William Wilberforce, or how about 100,000 Wilberforces to mobilize and to end abortion in this country. And so as we sing this last song, I want you to come up as a family and take one of these prayer babies and take it back To your seats, and then I'm going to come back up and we're going to pray, and you can take them with you, and I'll dismiss for the day. Corey, Mary?